You're listening to the podcast of Christ Walk Church in Fernandina Beach, Florida, where we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. We hope that these messages encourage and challenge you to live for something more. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can find us online at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening. Now here's today's message. Good morning, Christ Walk Church. How is everybody doing today? (laughs) Somebody's really excited. I'm excited as well to be in the house with you. I'm excited about um, today's message. If you've got a Bible um, or a smart device, I want to encourage you to turn with me or swipe with me to uh, the New Testament. In case you're unaware, the Bible is um, comprised of two larger sections of Scripture. Towards the front of the Bible, we have the Old Testament, um, and then the second section of Scripture uh, is the New Testament. And the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call the Gospels, um, and we call them the Gospels because gospel means good news. And those four books in particular are such good news because they tell of the story of the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so we are going to be in the third Gospel there in the New Testament today, the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 17. Um, And so you can turn there, keep a finger there, and we'll get there in just a minute. But before we jump in, officially to that passage, I got to know, are there any self-proclaimed dog people in the room today? Somebody definitely is. I got a woo, you know, a few people. Um, If you're a cat person, there's the door. Um, Just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. This is a church for all people and we'll just keep praying for you. We'll just keep praying for you. Um, I recently read a story about a large dog that walked into a butcher shop holding a wallet in its mouth. And the dog walked up to the counter, put the wallet on the counter, and then went over and sat down very politely in front of the meat case. The butcher looked at him jokingly and said, what is it, boy? You want to buy some meat? Woof! The dog barked. Hmm, said the butcher, what kind of meat? Liver? Bacon? Maybe some steak? Woof! The dog interrupted. And how much steak, said the butcher? Half a pound? One pound, woof! Amazed, the butcher wrapped up the meat and found the money to pay for it in the dog's wallet. And as the dog turned to leave, the butcher was so intrigued that he decided to follow him to see where he was going to go. He followed him down the street a couple blocks to where the dog entered an apartment building, climbed to the third floor, and began scratching at the door. And suddenly, The apartment door swung open and a very angry man began yelling at the dog and beating him. Stop, screamed the butcher. He said, this is the most intelligent animal that I've ever seen in my entire life. Intelligent, asked the man. This is the third time this week he's forgotten his key. (laughs) So the bottom line is that man wasn't thankful for what he had. We contrast that with the story uh, I read about a woman by the name of Pam who worked in downtown Chicago. Every morning, she encountered a heavyset, middle-aged woman wearing a shabby, tattered coat, soliciting spare change in front of an old brick church. This woman would greet everyone with a smile and a pleasant good morning. Pam, on her way by to work, almost always gave her something. Almost a year of this routine, um, after almost a year of this routine, however, the woman in the shabby coat suddenly disappeared. 
And Pam wondered what had happened to her until one day the woman showed up in front of the church again, still wearing that same shabby, tattered coat. And on her way by that morning on the way to work, as Pam reached into her purse for the usual donation, the woman reached out a hand and stopped her. And instead she said, I wanted to thank you for helping me all those days. You're not going to see me here again after today because I got a job. And with that, she reached down into a bag and handed Pam a wrapped package. She'd been standing at her old spot waiting, not for the usual handout, but for the people that she recognized so that she could give them each a donut. See, she was thankful. And today, we're kicking off a brand new series called Thanks Living, where over the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about cultivating a lifestyle of thankfulness, gratitude, and contentment. Cynthia Ozick says this about gratitude. She says, we often take for granted the very things that most deserve our gratitude. See, what I've come to discover is that in our lives, when something goes wrong, we're quick to complain about it, right? Because we want other people to know the difficulties that we're struggling with. We want other people to know how angry we are and the perspective that we have and the certain way that we feel about things when it didn't go the way that we expected. And we'll also allow those things to ruin our day. Something happens right at the beginning of the morning. And then all of a sudden, it's like a domino effect that brings down the rest of the things that we experience for the remainder of the day that we walk through. You know, why is that? Instead, I think we should focus on maybe some of the little things. Perhaps something like the fact that the sun came up this morning, right? Like that's something to be grateful for. Or, or maybe... The fact that we got an extra hour of sleep last night. Can I get a witness in the house? Anybody feeling refreshed today? Got a spring in your step because of that extra hour. Some of y'all wasted it. You just stayed up an extra hour. That's okay. Maybe, maybe the fact that, that we get to worship together in an air-conditioned room sitting on cushioned seats. How about that? Something to be thankful and grateful for. Maybe the fact that, that your car started this morning when you turned the key in the ignition. Or maybe if it didn't start when you turned the key in the ignition, you're at home on your comfortable couch watching us on your uh, laptop computer, your smart TV, or your cell phone, right? How about the fact that right now we are on Amelia Island? Come on. All my pastor friends hated me when I told them the Lord called me to Fernandina Beach. They all said, well, the Lord called me to hate your guts. So I said, I'll think about you while I'm just a stone's throw from the beach every time that I preach, you know. Um, how about the fact that there's caffeine in the coffee this morning? How about the fact that you got clothes on your back this morning? How about the fact that there is breath in your lungs this morning? If you can hear my voice today, then believe me, even if it doesn't seem like it, you have something to be grateful for. And that's what this series 
is all about. And the Bible gives us some insights into how you and I can bring those kinds of things to the forefront. And rather, being, rather than being the, the complainers, the people that fuss and gripe and allow things to ruin our day, we can, we can flip that on its head and we, begin, we can begin to see the, even in the small, the seemingly insignificant things, the, the blessings of God in our life so that we can become more grateful people. And so this morning, we're gonna start right here in Luke chapter 17. Uh, we're gonna read verses 11 through 19 together. And then we're gonna break it down a little bit. Uh, Luke 17, starting with verse 11, says, as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. And as he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance. And crying out, Uh, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. And so this morning for the next few minutes, I want us to kind of break down that passage and walk through it. And if you're taking notes today, um, we're going to talk about three identities that we find in this story of the 10 lepers. Three identities that we find in this story of the 10 lepers. And the, the first identity is this. First off, we see the unclean. It says there in verses 11 through 14, as Jesus continued on to Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Now, this is a particularly unique situation. Jesus finds himself traveling on a pretty common route, but it's on a border between, um, between uh, uh, Samaria and the rest of Israel. And um, traditionally, Jews and Samaritans were like oil and water. They hated each other. They did not mix together. Samaritans were this sect of the Jewish people that had intermarried with Assyrians. And so they were considered by um, the, the Jewish people to be kind of half-bloods, uh, so to speak. And, and so um, despite the fact that both recognized Jewish law and would have been somewhat familiar with it um, in varying degrees and capacities, they would have disagreed on the practice and the place of worship. And so there was all of this infighting and everything. Maybe you're familiar possibly most of all with Samaritans and in, in, in the story or the parable that Jesus told of the good Samaritan who um, you know, stops and, and saves the man that's beaten up on the side of the road. And so here in this passage, um, when we come upon this group, we see that it's comprised of both Jewish people and one Samaritan, nine Jews, one Samaritan. And it appears that this mixed group was brought together because of their common plight. See, often it's in our areas of pain that we are able to identify with 
one another. And, and these particular men, their condition was leprosy. Now, I'm not a doctor, nor did I stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Um, but uh, according to the dictionary, leprosy is a chronic, mildly infectious disease caused by mycobacterium leprae, affecting the peripheral nervous system, skin, and nasal mucosa, and variously characterized by ulcerations, tubercular nodules, and loss of sensation that sometimes leads to traumatic amputation of the anesthetized part. Basically, what leprosy did was cause you to lose the feeling, the sensation in your nerves. And so you couldn't tell whenever like the stove was hot or you had cut yourself. And so that would lead to uh, these accidents and injuries and infections. And all the while that is happening, happening, the bacteria that was causing the infection would slowly rot away the flesh and bone until pieces of your body would actually fall off. And this would like drag out over the course of many months and years, like just an excruciatingly painful way to live. Here's what the Bible says in in, in the law, the Levitical law. We're given some guidelines about how to handle um, leprosy that that would, would play into kind of what's going on here as Jesus interacts with These men. In Leviticus 13, verses 2 through 3, we read this. It says, If anyone has a swelling or a rash or discolored skin that might develop into a serious skin disease, that person must be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons. The priest will examine the affected area of the skin. And if the hair in the affected area has turned white and the problem appears to be more than skin deep, it is a serious skin disease or, or leprosy, and the priest who examines it must pronounce the person ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. Now, in the spirit of this message, before we go any further, I just want to take a moment to express my gratitude that we are not living in Old Testament times. Because don't get me wrong, I love you all deeply but I do not want to have to examine your bumps and your pimples and your rashes, okay? Like, y'all can just keep those things to yourself, and I will pray for you from a very safe distance, okay? That's, that's how we'll conduct that. Um, but it goes on to say later on in this chapter, verses 45 and 46, it says, those who suffer from a serious skin disease, talking about leprosy, must tear their clothing and leave their hair uncombed. They must cover their mouth and call out, unclean, unclean, as long as the serious disease lasts. They will be ceremonially unclean. They must live in isolation in their place outside the camp. So imagine their situation here. These these men with this skin disease, they would have had to leave their homes. They would have had to leave behind their families, their friends, their jobs, there would have been, they, they wouldn't have been able to, to hug their spouses or, or put their children in bed each night. They wouldn't have been able to gather with loved ones to share a meal around the dinner table. They're, they would have lost their ability to provide for their loved ones or support them financially, which for a man is a very, very difficult thing. 
there would have been no community or no real intimacy among them. And then anytime they saw another person, they would have to announce in a very loud voice before anyone got too close, unclean, unclean, like imagine living your life that way. This would have been a lot like if we can rewind to 2020, like the summer of 2020, imagine walking into a public space and yelling out, hey, everybody, I've got COVID. Think about it. Like you remember back then and, and it's even carried on till, you know, even till now, like you can't, you can't even like sneeze or cough in a public place anymore without people like giving you the side eye and like scooting over. Like imagine what it would have been like for everywhere you go that people would avoid you at all costs. Imagine how not only were they were affected physically, but also emotionally as they had to endure this horrific disease. And so here they are and they see Jesus is walking by the town where they're gathered. They're not even allowed inside the city gate. They're outside the city gate away from everybody, totally isolated. And they see Jesus is coming. And so they cry out to him, master, have mercy on us. See, they, they likely would have gotten word and would have heard about Jesus' ability to heal leprosy from the account that we see listed earlier in Luke chapter five. Here's that account. It says, in one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. And when the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly the leprosy disappeared. And then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone what had happened. He said, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. And this will be a public testimony that you've been cleansed. But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. So they would have gotten wind of this man who has the ability to cure them of the very thing that they are struggling with. And as word began to spread, that there would have been hope building and excitement building and imagine the overwhelming emotions that flooded their heart when they saw Jesus crest over the hill walking by their village that day. They thought, this is our moment right here. And so they called out to him, master. And so ultimately what they're saying there, because they use that term, it lets us know that they recognized that Jesus had authority that was consistent with miraculous power. Despite the fact that they clearly wanted Jesus to heal them, instead of saying, master, come and heal us, they said, master, have mercy on us. This showed that they recognized their uncleanness and they considered themselves unworthy of the miracle, but yet they were so desperate. And so Jesus just tells them, he says, go show yourselves to the priest. And so this would have been in keeping with the Levitical law that we read earlier as the priest would have to declare them clean before they could re-enter society. 
Jesus operated very differently in this instance. See, in the, in the Luke 5 passage, he touched the man that had leprosy and told him to be healed. But in this case, he does neither of those. And I've got to be very honest. If I had known like these men what had happened in Luke chapter 5, of how Jesus approached the man with leprosy, and how he touched him and told him to be healed. And I was one of these men standing in Jesus' presence, and he just told me to go and see the priest. I would have said, wait a minute. What do you mean, go and see the priest? Bro, can't you see this? I still have leprosy. The guy back a few chapters ago, you touched him. Are you not going to touch me? The guy back a few chapters ago, you told him to be clean. Are you not going to command me to be clean? Jesus, what are you doing here? And when I read this, I can't help but wonder how many of us miss out on experiencing the miracles of God in our life because we're insisting that he moves the same way for us as he did for someone else instead of just following the instructions that he's giving us and just doing what he's saying. We want it to be, I I want you to heal me, but I want you to do it that way. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not how this works. I know what's best, and I'm gonna tell you what I'm gonna do and what you need to do in response to it. And I find it very curious that out of all 10 of these guys, none of them do that, right? Instead, they did exactly what they told him to do or what he told them to do without any pushback. And the Bible says that as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. See, they they left Jesus' presence before the miracle had even taken place. But it was their faithful obedience that unlocked the miracle in their lives. And some of us, your miracle is just, it's right there. But instead of expecting it to happen the way that expected that, that, that you saw it happen for someone else, you need to step out in faithful obedience and do what the Lord's telling you to do. It's a word for somebody here this morning. So we have the identity of the unclean. The second identity we have uh, in, in this passage here in Luke chapter 17 is the ungrateful. We see the ungrateful. Picking up in verse 15, it says, One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, Praise God! And he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. And then Jesus asked, Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? See, rather than be grateful... The nine Jews took Jesus for granted. See, they acknowledged the gift, but they didn't acknowledge the giver. No doubt these men were incredibly excited about the miracle that had taken place, as anyone would be, right? For the miraculous like that to show up in our life, of course, we would all be excited, but they were unwilling to simply pause and give thanks for what God had done in their life. And here we see that ungratefulness is marked by both expectation and entitlement. 
We end up not showing gratitude often because we feel like the things that we have or the blessings that we receive are something that are owed to us. We'll say things or take on the mindset of, well, I work hard and I go to church and I do all the things and I check all the boxes, therefore I deserve it. That's the attitude that we often take. But what we need to understand is that the blessings of God in our life are not based on what we do. They're based on who he is. See, that's the difference there. There's nothing that we can do to position ourselves to earn that blessing. It's all about God being our good father and wanting to bless us with the good gifts that he has for us. See, many of us, we want to receive the blessing of God, but we want nothing to do with the burden of responsibility that comes along with it. And so the irony here, as we read this passage, is that the Jews would have claimed to have more knowledge about the Messiah and his coming than any Samaritan would have had. They should have been the ones that recognized Jesus, yet they missed their opportunity. And even if we assume the very best about these men, that they in fact were thankful, which I'd like to, I would like to think is likely. Sure, they were thankful that this had happened. Despite that fact, they did absolutely nothing to show it. I love this quote from former president John F. Kennedy. He says, as we express our gratitude, we must never forget that the highest appreciation is not to utter words, but to live by them. See, gratitude requires action to take place. Gratitude requires a, a, a shift in behavior to take place. And these men did neither of those things, and so therefore, we identify them in this story as ungrateful. But there's a third and, and final identity that we see here, and it's the unusual we have the unclean, we have the ungrateful, and now we have the unusual. Picking back up in verse 15, it says, One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, Praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Skipping down to verse 19, And Jesus said to the man, Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. See, when I read this passage, what I come to realize is that true gratitude is very unusual. It's unusual now, it was unusual then. According to this passage, it's even more rare than true faith. Because all 10 of the men had faith. All 10 of them stepped out in faithful obedience. All 10 of them received the miracle, but only one of them was grateful. Only one of them showed gratitude. So what we see in this passage is that when the Samaritan returns back to Jesus, it was something that was intentional and it was immediate. It was intentional and it was immediate. And he, he praised God, which it was, he was acknowledging Jesus as God's agent, moving in his life, bringing the miracle to pass. The Bible says he fell to the ground showing both humility and honor. All of these things, intentionality and immediacy and, 
acknowledging God as the giver and, and approaching the situation in humility and with an attitude and spirit of honor. These are all identifying characteristics of what true gratitude is. See, ha- having nothing to offer, he offered what he had. Thank you. Praise God. He delayed his re-entry into society to do this. See, at that moment that he was healed, he could, have, he could have immediately gone back to his family. He could have hugged his wife and his kids for the first time in who knows how long. He could have re-entered his home and sat around the table and celebrated with all of his friends the miracle of God in his life and the blessings that had been revealed. But instead, this man, he chose to put first things first. He was a man of purpose and priority. That's what gratitude's all about. I witnessed this firsthand in our community just a couple days ago. One of the most humbling experiences that I've ever had in my entire life. See, last week, we were made aware of a family that was in need. It's connected to one of our Kingdom Builders partners, Southside Elementary School here on the island. As this need was being um, communicated to us, the, the words that were used by someone at the school, and I quote, they said, this family has nothing. So I got on a group me and I sent a few messages out to some of our life groups and some of our serve teams. And within just 24 hours, we had people step up. So let me take a moment to stop right now and say, thank you. Thank you for being a church that is the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. Thank you for taking an opportunity that you could have easily pushed to the side and instead said, yeah, I can do something to help. Here's what I can do. I don't have anything to meet the need, but I'll pray. Or I've got this, would, would this be helpful? Can I bring this? Can you come pick up this? And so within the week, Chris and I, we were delivering a truckload and trailer load of furniture to this family's house. Our contact at the school texted me later that evening and, and she said, your help, your church's help is the most we have ever received. And I'm blown away by your immediate response. I gotta admit, when we pulled up to the delivery site that day, it's a tough situation. When the family opened the door to the home, we were able to see inside and it was evident that the house was virtually empty. There was nothing inside. And on top of that, there was a language barrier. They don't really speak a lot of English. And so there was a lot of pointing and nodding and you know, Chris and I trying to do the best that we could to just minister to this family in the midst of this crisis because of the things that you all provided, we're there and we're unloading this furniture and helping them get it inside. And you see their eyes light up with, with joy and delight with each new thing that came off the trailer out of the back of the truck. And it was hot. We were sweaty that day. And I was, had turned my back and I was walking to the truck 
to get something else out of the back of it to, to bring up to the house. And I heard someone say, sir, when I turned around, there was the man of the home. He had an ice cold bottle of water in his hand. He was giving it to me. Having nothing to offer, he offered what he had because he was grateful. He was grateful. In that moment, I was, I was overwhelmed. And I was, I was, to be quite honest, like I drove away from there a little bit wrecked, like challenged. Like that man's gratitude showed me how ungrateful I am to the many blessings that God has given me in my life. And it reminded me immediately of today's passage. There's this beautiful picture of what true gratitude is. See, that's what the Samaritan displayed. The Jews, they considered him less than. To them, he would have had a skewed view of God. He wouldn't have known the full truth about the coming Messiah, but his actions proved otherwise that day. What this passage shows us is that that gratitude is a defining mark in the life of the one who truly knows who Jesus is. Verse 19 indicates this Samaritan received more than just physical healing as well. Jesus told him, he said, your faith has healed you. That word healed is the Greek word sozo, and it actually means to save or to make whole. See, the grace of gratitude opens the heart of the believer to receive future blessings. Not only was this man healed physically, but he was healed spiritually as well. We find that true gratitude encompasses both body and soul. The 10 men in this story Nine were declared clean by the priest, which ends in death. One was declared saved by the Son of God, which lasts forever. Both were miraculous, but one is significantly greater. So what does this mean for us? Well, number one, whether we like it or not, you and I, We're all unclean. We're all unclean today. Probably not leprosy, but it's something else. We're all sinners in need of a savior. And that in this moment is our greatest ailment. The second part of this is that while we can't choose whether or not we are unclean, we can choose. We do have the choice as to whether or not we're gonna be ungrateful or unusual. That choice is ours. And so what I came to tell you this morning is simply this. When it comes to gratitude, be the exception. When it comes to gratitude, be the exception. I want you to think for just a moment what choosing to be the unusual person, choosing to display gratitude 
in the way that this Samaritan displayed? How might that affect your interactions with your family? How might that affect the tone of your household? How might that spill over into the atmosphere that you bring to the workplace? How might that make a difference in the interactions that you have with friends and neighbors and people at church and people in the community? How might it it change the temperature of this atmosphere here in this house? If we all chose to be people of gratitude like this. And what might happen if each of us chose to live that way and then we, we carried it from here out into the highways and the byways of our community and all the different places that you and I are gonna leave and go to from here and all the nooks and crannies, what kind of difference could that make? How might that reflect the love and the light and the life of Jesus Christ? How might that inspire someone else to follow after Jesus just because, they, hey, man, I see that person, they go to Christ. Man, that is a grateful church. They've seen the blessings of God. They're appreciative of the blessings of God. And then they serve as the hands and feet of Jesus to pass those blessings on to other people. You can't tell me that that wouldn't radically change this community forever for the kingdom of God, if we chose to live that way. So when it comes to gratitude, make the choice today. I'm gonna be the exception. I'm gonna be the unusual one. And I'm gonna display this radical gratitude every single day of my life. I'm gonna seek out ways and opportunities and things to be grateful for so that I can be an inspiration for others and point them in the direction of Jesus. Over the coming weeks, we're gonna talk very practically about what that looks like and continue to build off of the foundation that we've laid here this morning. Perhaps the first step toward that lifestyle of gratitude is to show your thanks to God by receiving his son, Jesus, this incredible gift as your Lord and Savior today. If you're in the room, you're watching online, if you're ready to receive that gift this morning, I wanna invite you to pray this very simple prayer with me. It's gonna be on the screen if you need it. Can we just pray together? Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe that Jesus died in my place making a way for us to have a relationship. And I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Christ Walk Church podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. To find out more information about Christ Walk Church, including our service times, how to connect with us on social media, and the ministry opportunities we have for you and your family, simply visit our website at thechristwalk.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget, because of Jesus, the best is yet to come.